Sports and Stuff Podcast. Presented by Team Media. Here's your host, DTJ. Welcome to this all new edition of the Sports and Stuff Podcast. Presented by Team Media. For more information about the team, visit our website, www.theteam.media. Or on social media, we have new handles, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Your Team Take. We're also available on your favorite podcast streaming service, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Deezer. Wherever you get your favorite podcast streaming content, look us up, Thompson Entertainment and Media. Each week, we dive headfirst into the world of sports and pick a few topics we think will garner the most conversation. We're always interested in your take and invite you to hit us up on our website or social media and let us know your thoughts. For this edition, I want to give my reaction to the World Series and talk some NFL action. But first, let's start with the best thing I heard in sports this week. Thank you very much to the media. We're actually gonna get to one fan question here. Let's go to a young woman named Sarai who has a little boxing background of her own. Sarai, you're up. Hi, my name is Sarai Brownell. I'm a I'm a USA Boxing 12-time national champion. I'm also a part of the USA Junior High Performance Team. And the question I wanted to ask Mike was, what is your mindset like when you're going in the ring? And what is your mindset going to be like when you get in the ring with what? Um, my mindset is totally bliss. This is something I've done all my life since I was 13 years old. I'm, I'm more involved now than I've ever been. My my objective is uh, going there with the best intentions of my life to you know to disable my opponent, and that's just what it is. That's the sound of a press conference featuring Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. promoting their rescheduled exhibition fight on Treller, now scheduled for November 28th. If you haven't seen the clips, I have them posted on my Facebook page. So what caught my eye about this was Mike's last paragraph, which I'll read for you in case you didn't quite make out what he said. What he said was, my mindset is totally bliss. This is something I've done all my life since I was 13 years old. I'm more evolved now than I've ever been. My objective is to go in there with the best of intentions of my life to disable my opponent. That's just what it is. (laughs) If you've been paying attention to the buildup of this fight, you have definitely noticed a more aggressive tone with Mike as of late. And yeah, I'm sure part of that is gamesmanship as Tyson has a lot riding on a successful fight and network launch. But his tone tells you we should expect to see that eat your kids Mike, not feeding pigeons on a roof Mike. Roy Jones Jr. looks to be in great shape as well. I just wonder if he's truly taking this exhibition or fight as seriously as Mike. I guess we'll find out on November 24th.
ever done a Major League Baseball game and not thought of my dad, but it's impossible to not think of the 92-year-old Vin Scully, the greatest to ever do it. Started with the Dodgers in 1950, retired four years ago. That is strike two. 67 years of his life he poured into the Dodger organization, and you know he's watching and rooting. Ownership, Andrew Friedman, Dave Roberts. And strike three. Dodgers have won it all in 2020. All right, first up, congratulations to the L.A. Dodgers on their first World Series title since 1988, the seventh in franchise history. This is only the ninth time in the Super Bowl era that major sports teams from the same metropolitan market have won championships in the same year. The last time it happened was during the 2018-19 season when the Boston Red Sox won the World Series and the New England Patriots won Super Bowl 53. The same thing happened with these two franchises back in 2004 as well. The last time the Dodgers won the World Series in 1988, the Lakers also won the NBA Finals in that year as well. Some other teams to have done this include the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Penguins of the NHL in 2008-2009, the Lakers and the Anaheim Angels in 2002, the Oakland A's and the San Francisco 49ers in 1989, the New York Mets and the Giants in 1986, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Steelers in 1979, and the Baltimore Orioles and Colts in 1970. All in all, I thought the World Series was entertaining with great clutch hitting and pitching from both teams. And I'm not one of those people who like to criticize the moves of a manager or coaches too often because your move is only good if it works. There, but there has been a lot of conversation about the Rays' decision to pull their top ace, Blake Snell, in the sixth of game six, who had thrown up to that point 73 pitches. He had nine strikeouts and he'd only given up two hits at that point. With one on in the sixth, manager Kevin Cash decided to pull Snell out of fear that his ace might be tiring. Snell was visibly upset by the move. When you really look at how nasty his stuff was up to that point, his being upset was very understandable. He was just dominant. The Dodgers couldn't locate his slider or fastball. But of course, you know the rest. The bullpen came in and they blew the game. But who's to really say that might not have happened anyway? If Snell didn't surrender a hit at bat prior, would Cash have kept them in the game? Also, had the bullpen preserved the lead, would Cash's move be viewed as brilliant instead of foolish? Again, you're only a genius if your risk works. Anyway, I'm sure analytics and pressure played a role in Cash's decision, and it will be a move we debate to some degree all winter. In listening to some of the pundits, I heard a take from Tim Kirchin, who is as respected an analyst on baseball and its history that you can find, that I like to share and then comment on on the other side. Here he's speaking to ESPN's Scott Van Pelt on his show Wednesday night. 
The love Tim Kirchin has for baseball, I believe, is unrivaled by any other analyst covering any other sport. And, Tim, as we heard you following the Dodgers win in the World Series, I think your anguish over the decision that was made to grab Snell in the sixth by cash in the Rays uh, was palpable. A day later, are you still in the same space mentally about what happened? Yes, I am, Scott. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm worried where the game is right now. As I said, we've lost the feel for the game. We have stopped watching the game. The analytics have robbed some of the art from the game. Now we are a home run, walk, strikeout game virtually every night. Scott, here's how bad it is now. I got asked on a radio show the other day if Ozzie Smith could play in the major leagues today. <laughs> Ozzie Smith. He's the greatest defensive shortstop of all time, and given the importance of that position, he might be the greatest defensive player of all time, but since he doesn't hit homers, he hits ground balls, he steals bases, and he doesn't strike out, people are looking at him saying, well, what value would he have today? He could play for anyone today, but for someone to actually ask me if Ozzie Smith could play today, that's a dangerous situation to be in. What Tim is talking about in his take is not just relegated to sports, but is applicable even in corporate America and just about every other industry on earth. And it's this obsession to be led by data and decision making. Now, don't mistake me because data is important. Knowing your pitcher struggles against right-handed hitters is important if he'll be facing a dominant righty lineup. In the same way, knowing what products sell well or more effectively is invaluable knowledge for an organization in best allocating your resources to secure the most profit. But what Tim talks about in the loss for a feel of the game resonates so much with me in that we sometimes depend on the data too much. You know, Jay-Z is credited with the phrase that men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. And that's not necessarily true. A smart financial whiz, much like a creative and brilliant storyteller, can sometimes massage the numbers to say and mean whatever you want them to. Also in sports, analytics always tell you the story based off of what was true and not necessarily on what is true. For instance, in that example from earlier, that same pitcher who had historically struggled against righties might go out tonight and pitch a gem in opposition to his stats and thereby changing his stats. That's why having a feel for the game is important. The game can never grow if you continue to limit it by what used to be true. And again, I just happen to see this happen in a lot of different phases of life. And I think there ultimately needs to be a balance with data and not an overdependence on it. Anyway, Congratulations again to the L.A. Dodgers, the L.A. Lakers, and the silly of L.A. who is killing it right now. If the Rams can make some noise and return to their championship form, you might have a trio of champions to celebrate this year. Not sure if that's ever happened. Big shout out to Magic Johnson, who now has 12 championship rings, five as a player, five as a Lakers owner, one with the L.A. Sparks of the WNBA, and now one as part owner of the Dodgers. And finally, while this may not in any way help heal the city regarding the loss of the Laker great Kobe Bryant, these wins are a great way and opportunity to honor him 
for all of his contributions to the city of L.A. All right, a quick break and then some NFL action. First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One, okay, cool guy. Two, three times. Next, oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down, up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You came across someone struggling with hunger. How would you recognize them? Would you notice an eight-year-old girl who's not excited for summer break because she may not be having lunch again until September? Or a war veteran who's having a hard time landing a job and getting back on his feet? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Sports and Stuff Podcast is presented by Team Media. Check us out on the web, theteam.media, or on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Another great week of NFL action, and I'm going to begin with recapping week seven. Let's start with the heartbreaker in Atlanta as the Falcons fall to the Lions 22-23. All of the networks, even from Sunday night, talking about the lapse of judgment from Todd Gurley, who attempted to take a knee or fall on the one-yard line with a minute to go in the game in hopes of allowing the Falcons to run down the clock and attempt a last-second field goal. Instead, his momentum carried him into the end zone and left just enough time for Matt Stafford, Matty Ice, and the Lions to march down the field and score the go-ahead touchdown. To me, the criticism has unfairly been placed on Gurley for scoring too early. But really, the real fault is with the defense. How you let the Lions march on you like that? Also, had Gurley kneeled successfully on the one and you missed the field goal, you'd be saying he should have taken the points when he had the chance. Instead, focus all that anger on the defense who couldn't stop a leak with the water off. Saints over the Panthers, 27-24. No real surprise in the Saints win, but concern if Michael Thomas will ever see the field again anytime soon. If he's not injured, he's beating up teammates or getting hurt again. At what point do you decide your star is more trouble than he's worth? I hope not soon. He's on my fantasy team. Bills at the Jets. The Bills needed this one to break the two-game slide they were on. Six field goals in this one by Tyler Bass. Chargers beat the Jags 39-29. The Chargers rookie quarterback Justin Herbert has been balling, and he's my pick thus far for rookie of the year. He threw for 347 yards in this one, three touchdowns, and the Chargers have their second win. 
The Jags, meanwhile, haven't won a game since week one. I'm wondering if that Minshew magic has run out or if they just need more talent. Packers rebound from their week six beatdown and lay one of their own on the Texans 35 to 20. Aaron Rodgers throwing for 283 yards and four touchdowns. Starting running back Aaron Jones didn't play due to a calf injury, but looks as if he should be ready to go week eight. Chiefs over the Broncos, 43-16. The Broncos defense looked like they were able to get pressure on Mahomes in this game, but it really didn't matter. Just too many weapons on that Chiefs team. Bucks dominate the Raiders, 45-20. Yeah, so this is like the second week of the Tom Brady beatdown tour. That team is starting to click, and my 13-3 projection isn't looking so crazy after all. I think Antonio Brown joins them in week nine in their rematch with the Saints at Tampa. Circle that game. I don't know what's going on in Dallas, y'all. I don't even know how to explain it, but the Cowboys lose again. This time to the team with no name, Washington, 25 to three. So yeah, not much to say about this one, just a bad loss. Washington is now second in the NFC East at two and five, behind the Eagles who are two, four and one. Both of Washington's wins have come against NFC East opponents. 49ers over the Patriots, 33 to six. I told y'all last week this was a must win for the Patriots or that things could turn ugly. I also told you in my 2020 outlook that if things didn't look right, Cam would be benched by week five. Okay, so it happened in week seven, but he was injured a week or two. I also wrote that I hope things would work out for Cam, and I still mean that too. I believe Cam can turn it around. Belichick hasn't had to bench anyone in his career, so I'm sure that was awkward for him too. I'll save the two highest scoring games for last and next cover what I think was the second best game of the day on Sunday, Steelers-Titans. The Titans were down 27-7 in the third quarter and then Tannehill connected with A.J. Brown on a 73-yard bomb to narrow the gap to 24-14. Gotzkowski hit a 51-yarder to make it 27-17 and then Derrick Henry had a one-yard run in the fourth that made it 27-24. The Titans had one more opportunity in the final minute of the game, but Gostkowski missed a 45-yard field goal attempt that would have tied the game. And the Steelers are the last remaining undefeated team in the AFC. On the Monday night game, the Rams are looking like legit contenders with their 24-10 victory over the Bears. Jared Goff threw for 219 yards and two touchdowns. The real story was the Rams defense, which recorded four sacks, eight quarterback hits and two interceptions. I have a tie for best game on Sunday. Both games had the same amount of points and the same score. Three of the four starting quarterbacks were number one picks. The one who wasn't a number one pick is considered to be the best quarterback in the game today. The visiting team won one of these games. The home team won the other. With that tease, Let's first talk about my beloved Brownie's heart attack inducing last second win over the division and state rival Cincinnati Bengals, 37-34. Last week, I said the Browns needed this win for morale sake. I also hope that Baker would have had a game of the ages. His stat line was 22 of 29 for 79% passing, 297 yards, five touchdowns and one pick. 
Joe Burrow wasn't bad either at 35 for 47, 406 yards and three touchdowns and one pit. And I wouldn't be mad if you were voting for him as rookie of the year over Justin Herbert. I personally chose Herbert because he has two wins. But Burrow has played in some killer games, so really it's a toss-up. But what about that 24-yard touchdown pass from Baker to Donovan Peoples-Jones for the game winner? You couldn't tuck your toes tighter into the end line of the end zone. Just a phenomenal catch, maybe the best of the year. And again, the Browns needed this win to go 5-2, and two, which is still only good enough for third in the AFC North, which is crazy to me. But 1-2 are the Steelers and Ravens. So, if I weren't a Browns fan, perhaps the clear choice for game of the day would go to the stunning Cardinals upset over the Seahawks in overtime, 37-34. Just an action-packed game, which is what you expect from Kyler and Russell. The Seahawks led by 10 points with under 7 minutes left in this one. But the game ultimately came down to a 44-yard field goal by Zane Gonzalez in the final seconds of the fourth quarter to bring the game into overtime. And then after the Cardinals intercept Wilson in the overtime period, Gonzalez nails a 48-yarder to win the game. Here's the call of those highlights from the Sunday Night Football crew, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Instead, they give it to Edmonds, and Edmonds will get a first down. So now they're definitely in field goal range, but they got to get up there and spike it. Eight, seven, six, five, four, gets it down with two seconds. So they do work into field goal range. (laughs) So funny. The last Sunday night game we did, he went to overtime. 6-6. Now watch Larry Fitzgerald grab the ball away and sprint it back to the line of scrimmage to the official because he knows the clock is the enemy. Heads up play. He gave it right to his center, Mason Cole. So now you've got a 44-yard attempt to send us to OT. Told you last play again. Of course, it's Seattle on Sunday night. From 44, Gonzalez's kick is just inside the left upright. Wow. The Seahawks, the year of living dangerously. They do it again. And we will go to overtime. 34-34. Nervous right there. Just inside the upright. With the loss, the Steelers are now the sole remaining undefeated team in the league. But how much longer will they stay that way? A quick break and then some must-watch games heading into week eight. Okay, kids, dad's gonna teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, pump your knee, nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. 
If you're worried your friend may be struggling, remember, you don't have to be there to be there. You can say how are you or get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You could chat on the game, kick off your flip flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at seizetheawkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. Here, we talk sports and stuff. Join the conversation, www.theteam.media, or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For those of you playing fantasy football, please be sure to check your lineups if you have players on the following teams as they are on a bye during week eight. The Cardinals, the Jags, Washington, and the Texans. Now, here are some games I'll definitely be watching in week eight. The Thursday night game features a pair of NFC South teams who records I almost want to swap and the Falcons visiting the Panthers. I don't think Christian McCaffrey is expected to play in this one, so please adjust your fantasy lineup accordingly. I know I'll need to. I think the Falcons will win this game, but it may be a close one. On to Sunday action, 1 o'clock Eastern games, that's 10 a.m. Pacific, include my Browns hosting the Las Vegas Raiders, how will the Brownies adjust to the loss of OBJ, especially with Nick Chubb still out as well, will this mean more catches for Landry, more action for Hunt, or will another young prospect step up? The Browns have weapons, y'all. But the Raiders are a good team as well. Their defense is formidable. And Derek Carr has thrown for over 1,700 yards, 13 touchdowns, and only two interceptions so far on the season. The Patriots visit the Buffalo Bills in desperate need of a win. I hope New England doesn't give up on Cam too early, though I did write in my 2020 outlook available on our website that if things weren't going well by week five, and I said it again last week, he'd be benched. Buffalo is a good team, but they've lost two out of their last three and only put up field goals against the Jets last week. Tennessee at Cincinnati. On paper, it should be an easy win for the Titans, who lost a heartbreaker of a game last week against the Steelers. I can see Derrick Henry going bananas in this game. However, I could also see the Bengals sneaking a win in this one. Joe Burrow has an arm and will get opportunities against the Titans secondary. If A.J. Green can be special, I'm just saying, y'all, be careful. Indy at Detroit. Suddenly, the Lions are 3-3 three three with the shot to make some noise in the NFC North. The Colts are 4-2 and two and sit at second in the AFC South. If the playoffs started today, the Colts would be in and the Lions would not, although they have a better record than anyone in the NFC East. It's the whole division leader first round by clause. Green Bay hosting the Vikings on paper should be a win for the pack, but these division games are tricky sometimes. The Jets visiting Kansas City. I mean, I'm not even convinced the Jets will have 53 players suited for this game. If, if, if Kansas City somehow lost this game, this would qualify as the upset of the millennium thus far. Rams visiting Miami. 
This is the first start for Tua Tagovailoa unless the Dolphins pull a fast one on all of us and end up giving Fitzpatrick the start. Some might say that's cruel or in pity. I say it's brilliant gamesmanship and should happen. The Rams' key to success on offense and defense this year has been tempo. Getting the ball out of Jared Goff's hands as quickly as possible, and then on defense getting as much pressure with Aaron Donald and the defensive front to force you out of any rhythm. If the start does go to Tua, he's had two weeks to prepare. But how does one truly prepare for NFL game speed? Rounding out the 1 p.m. games, Pittsburgh and Baltimore with first place in the NFC North at stake. This will be Pittsburgh's toughest game of the season to date, a week removed from what was likely their toughest game to date. The Ravens arguably had their toughest game a few weeks back in a loss to the Chiefs and enjoyed a bit of a break last week. This alone causes me to give an edge to the Ravens. Plus, is Des Bryant playing in this game? If he's still in shape, he can be the game-changing weapon the Ravens need to truly compete with the Chiefs and anyone the NFC might have to offer. As for the 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific games, Chargers visit Denver. Will this still be snow on the ground? Who knows? But this game features a pair of two and four teams who need a win to get into the playoff conversation. Justin Herbert has been playing lights out, and I give him the nod in this one. New Orleans at Chicago. NFL man can't win by defense alone. New Orleans has weapons, minus Mike Thomas, who isn't active again this week. But Kamara and team can get the job done. That's if the Saints O-line can keep the Bears' pass rush at bay long enough for Breeze to get the ball out of his hands. That's the key to the game, kids. Seattle hosts in San Francisco, a rematch of that dramatic Week 17 classic from last year where the Niners held off the Seahawks on a last-second play. I don't think this one will be as dramatic because the Niners' defense ain't what it once was. I got Seattle by a touchdown in this one. They'll be eager to get that taste of losing out of their mouth. Rounding out the late afternoon games, the Cowboys visiting Philly. Believe it or not, the winner will at least have a share of first in the NFC East, the division no one seems to want to win. I don't want to hype this one up, Cowboy fans, but this right here, this right here is your season. This game and how you play will tell me everything I need to know about if your hearts are still in or if you've quit. And if you quit, then I would not hesitate to blow this whole team up and begin rebuilding even now. I mean, there will literally be a fire sale come Sunday night. Now pay attention to what I've said. It's in how you play, not whether or not you actually win or lose. At your best, you should win easily. At your worst, it'll be a repeat of what Washington did to you last week. In the Sunday night game, Tom Brady and the Bucks look to extend their beatdown tour another week as they visit the MetLife Giants. I say MetLife instead of New York because I'm sure a city that identifies itself with winners wants to get as far away from the Giants this season as possible. But guess what? New Jersey doesn't want to claim them too much either. MetLife is contractually obligated, so we'll go with them. And finally, because I'm sure you all want to know how my fantasy team is doing, yeah, it's not good. I'm on a three-week losing streak, and that's after sitting in second. 
What's worse, what really ticks me off is that I lost to a team that had three to four players on a bye. I got nothing from OBJ due to injury. I benched Brady in favor of Jared Allen, which was a 20 point mistake. And my opponent had Tyler Lockett, who got him 53 points, and Russell Wilson, who got him another 33, for 85 points between the two players. I lost by six points altogether, so just starting Brady would have saved me. I'll be looking to course correct this week because I capital H hate losing. Okay, a quick break and then some closing thoughts. Social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You came across someone struggling with hunger. How would you recognize them? Would you notice an eight-year-old girl who's not, not excited, excited for summer, summer break because she may not be having lunch again until September? Or a war veteran who's having a hard time landing a job and getting back on his feet? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. If you're worried your friend may be struggling, remember, you don't have to be there to be there. You can say how while you will get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You could chat on the game, kick off your flip flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. Sports and Stuff Podcast is presented by Team Media. Check us out on the web, theteam.media, or on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of the Sports and Stuff Podcast. Before we end, I wanted to talk some stuff more than sports. Tuesday is election day, and while I know many of you tune into the show to escape the madness of the world, I wanted to come on and impress upon you the importance of voting in this election. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm sure most people have their minds made up on that already. I'm more so concerned that you do indeed vote. There are already 60 million people who have, and if you're one of them, thank you. Our democratic process works best when we all participate. If you're planning to vote this weekend or on election day, please be prepared for long lines and a long wait. Pack a snack, binge this and other team products, start a wave in line, and then join us back here next week for an all new edition. Don't forget to tell everyone you know about this show. Hit us up on our website, www.theteam.media, or on social media, again at our new handles, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Your Team Take. That's going to do it for now. Have a great week, everyone, and... Remember, you can do it. 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 You can do it.
You can do it! You can do it! You can do it! Oh, yes, we can. And yes, we will.